If you have your Bible, and I pray that you do, turn with me to Psalm 118, Psalm 118 in the precious Word of God. And this morning, I pray that as we take a journey, this is going to be a different type of message. I'll not give you three points in a poem. And the people of God said, amen, I'll give you five points in a poem. No, <laughs> hey, I'm just joking. You got to be careful what you, what you get excited about, but no, uh, we're just going to look at a couple of verses, but I want us to get there by beginning, and Ernie chuckles because he knows I have more than just a couple of verses up here in my notes. Uh, I want us to draw our attention right away to what Psalm 118 begins with. You see, Psalm 118 begins in verse number 1 and ends in verse number 29 by essentially saying the same thing. We just sang a song about praising the name of the Lord our God. Notice what verse number 1 says. It says, oh, give thanks. Don't you just love Jesus? Just stop for a second. Don't you love Jesus? Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. The Bible says, for He is what? Good. He's a good God. Let me remind you in 2020, He's not changed the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's a good God. Give thanks to, to the Lord, for He is good. Notice this. Why? I always ask the question, why? Whenever I see a colon in Scripture, I always ask the question, why? The psalmist says, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good. Why? Because His mercy endures forever. Amen? Oh, that's good news this morning. And throughout this psalm, which most believe uh, uh, King David, if you please, penned, uh, we find God's enduring mercy all the way laced through this psalm. And you can see God's mercy throughout His, His entire Word. But all we, we also see uh, evidences of God's power. We see evidences of not only His power, but His protection of David and his provision of his people. I want you to notice just a few things, and this isn't even our main text, but I want you to notice a few of the things that the psalmist says. Look with me in verse number 5. The psalmist says, I called upon the Lord in distress. And notice, I asked the question, why? What's the result? The result is, he said, the Lord answered me. Look at verse 6. He says, the Lord is on my side. You get down to verse number 13 after David being the target of repeated attacks by the enemy aimed at crushing him and aimed at destroying him. Notice what he says at the end of verse 13. He says, the Lord helped me. Has anybody ever been helped by the Lord? I have over and over again in my life. He said, the Lord helped me. Look at verse 14. He states, the Lord is my strength and is become my salvation. Drop all the way down to verse 27. He writes, God is the Lord which has showed us light. You remember Jesus said He was the light of the world. Oh, listen, this is the same God of very God. Look at verse 28. He, he proclaims, He says, Thou art my God, and I will praise Thee. Thou art my God, I will exalt Thee. And folks, you and I could go on and on throughout this text this morning because there's so much packed in just this one psalm in Scripture. But this morning, I honestly believe as we look at this text, that God wants you and I, He wants us to actually to remember that the only reason you're here in this place today 
The only reason that you and I are able to be saved, the only reason that you and I are able to sing songs of worship, the only reason that we're able to celebrate 40 years of ministry is because of what it says here in our main text. And if you look down to verse 22 and verse 23, you'll see our text for today. In verse 22, the psalmist, he writes these words. He says, the stone, the stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. Look at it again. He says, the stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. And then notice what he follows it up with in verse 23. He says, this is the Lord's doing. Whoo, that makes me want to dance. He said, this is the Lord's doing. And guess what he said? It's marvelous in our eyes. Oh, folks, 40 years of ministry, it's of the Lord's doing. It ain't of my doing. It's not of your doing. It's of nobody else's doing except for the Lord's. And it's marvelous in our eyes. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the ability to sing songs of worship and praise to you. The only one who is worthy of our praise. That stone which was refused and rejected by the builders. That stone that has become the headstone of the corner. Oh, the foundation of our faith. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We glorify you today for what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do. Lord, help us never to become ungrateful. Help us to always keep our eyes fixed on Thee. Lord, I pray that today that Your Word will encourage our hearts. I pray that Your Word will, will challenge us. God, I pray that Your Word will break hearts. Lord, if there's somebody in this room, if there's somebody watching and worshiping or, or trying to make a connection with You this morning, spiritually speaking, Lord, I pray that You will break their hearts you open up the eyes of their understanding that they might call out upon the name of the Lord for the forgiveness of sin. And God, that they might enter into that greatest relationship of all, a relationship with you. Lord, we thank you for what you have done. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you today. We thank you for this church. Lord, I pray that you'll have your will and your way during these next few moments of time as we see again from your word what you have to say to your church on this very special day, Lord, help us to always think these things, say the things, and do the things that bring you the most honor and the most glory. Lord, I pray that you will be honored and that you will be glorified today. For it's in the precious name of your dear Son and for his sake, we pray and ask all these things. And the people of God said, Amen and Amen. Look with me again at verse number 22. The psalmist tells us the stone which the builders refused, that word refused actually means to spurn, to abhor, to cast away or to reject. And so there's a very clear picture of what the psalmist is saying. And yes, if we believe that David wrote it, you think back in time, David too was refused and rejected by the authorities of his time. And we'll not go there for the sake of the time this morning. But he says that the stone which the builders refused, they basically refused, rejected this stone. He said it has become the headstone. And when, that, when we look at the word head, it's important to understand what he's saying is it's become the chief 
or the principal stone of the building. And right away it's vital for you and I to understand that within the world of Jewish thought, in the world of Jewish economy, the head or the chief stone, if you please, was not some type of ornamental stone. Have you ever seen buildings where at the corner they have in, in chiseled into a brick the date that the building was erected? That's not what they're talking about here when they talk about the cornerstone. So don't look at it and say, well, on this day on an old uh, rugged cross, uh, Jesus... No, it's not something that was ornamental. It would have been something that was artistic. It would have been something that was artistically, aesthetically, structurally, if you please, and symmetrically designed. And when I look at this verse... The imagery of this verse is so incredible. You see, the headstone is not something that was just ornamental. It was something that was crucial for the stability and the success of the building. But folks, can I tell you it's important because this verse is not speaking of some type of a physical building. It's not speaking of something like the new uh, the Empire State Building or the new One World Trade Center building in New York. It's not speaking of feats of engineering and architecture by men. It's speaking of something far greater. Oh yes, verse number 22 is speaking about a building of God not made with hands, if you please. Oh, what a wonderful Savior we serve. Throughout the Old Testament, we find hundreds of predictions and prophecies speaking of Jesus, and many of them actually connect, connect the dots for us, if you please, uh, referencing this head of the cornerstone. Uh, and you can see imagery through words like stone or rock uh, connecting and pointing to the long-awaited Messiah. In fact, if you have your Bible, I want us to see just a couple of those. Turn with me to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 28. I want you to see these for yourself. A couple of passages that kind of make the connection for us. See, because when you read this one verse, number 22, if you just look at it by itself, what, what you come away with, you're like, what, do, what does that mean? You know, it's like the stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. What is that all about? So you have to actually do a little research and see the connection between the predictions and prophecies and pointing forward to Jesus Christ. Notice in Isaiah chapter 28. In Isaiah, Isaiah 28, there's a lot going on here, and uh, the chapter begins, Woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim, and, and he goes on. And, but you get down to uh, verse 16. You guys look at verse 16. I'm going to begin, though, guys. I know I didn't ask for this. I'm going to begin reading. Just listen to me. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 14. It says, Wherefore, hear the word of the Lord, ye scornful men, that rule this people which is in Jerusalem, because you have said, we have made a covenant with death and with hell, and we at agreement. Wow. And when the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us, for we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood we have hid ourselves. Now notice what verse number 16 says. It, it reveals this. It says, therefore, thus saith the Lord. And so God is speaking here, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, watch what it says, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Watch, it says, He that believeth shall not make haste. Verse 17, judgment. This is speaking of justice. 
right? It's his judgment. Also, will I lay to the line? What he's saying is justice is going to be the measuring line. And then if you notice, it says, and righteousness, the plummet. And so if you're a builder, you've heard of this idea of a plumb line. That's what it's speaking of. Justice will be the, the line and righteousness will be the plumb line. Now, folks, I'm not a construction guru or a master builder like Jerry Stanley. But I can tell you a few things. If a foundation is going to be a sure foundation, right? If it's going to be a sure foundation, it must be tested. It must be measured accurately. It must be constructed with quality materials. Amen? And this is what we see. This is what we see in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Flip back, look with me at Isaiah chapter 8. In Isaiah chapter 8, again, God is speaking to Isaiah. And in verse number 13 and 14, the Bible says, Sanctify the Lord of hosts Himself. God says, Sanctify the Lord of hosts Himself and let Him be your fear and let Him be your dread. And He shall be for a sanctuary but for a stone of stumbling, watch it, and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel. Now, some of you might get confused. You might say, to both houses of Israel? What are we talking about? Well, during this time, the kingdom was split. You have the northern kingdom, ten tribes, the southern kingdom of Judah, two tribes, right? So it's split. It says, to both the houses of Israel for a gin. It's not talking about liquor. Watch, it says, for a gin, that means a trap. Watch out for the stumbling block. It'll be a trap and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Turn one more time with me to Daniel, to Daniel chapter 2, and I promise I'll, I'll stop the Bible drill. <laughs> but I want you to see these things. In Daniel chapter 3, God actually reveals to, or Daniel chapter 2, excuse me, God actually reveals to Daniel the secret of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And if you remember in the early parts of Daniel chapter 2, and if you haven't read it while, I encourage you to go back, but King Nebuchadnezzar, he calls all the Chaldeans the, the so-called wise men. You remember he calls them and he says, tell me what this interpretation is. And they start asking him all these questions. He says, no, he says, you just tell me. And they're like, well, we, you got to give us a hint. Give us a little hint and we'll tell you. He says, no, I'm not giving you any hints. You tell me. Well, he gets angry. And if you know, if you know the story, he abruptly has all the wise men killed. Well, while this is going on, God reveals to Daniel the secret of the king's dream, right? And so Daniel, he steps out, he tells Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he tells everybody, he says, Get, can I have an audience with the king? And he goes to King Nebuchadnezzar, and he starts to interpret the king's dream. But along the way, and he's talking about different kingdoms that will be set up, but if you drop your attention down to verse number 44, you find these words. This is near the end of Daniel's interpretation, and it says this, Daniel says, And in the days of these kings, watch what he says, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for the fact that Daniel said the God of heaven is going to set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Now watch, he goes on. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, all these people who think they're high and mighty. He says it's going to consume them all. All these guys with the big head, all these guys with their own little kingdoms, it's going to break it all into pieces. Now watch what happens. 
And it shall stand, my Bible says what? For how long? How long's forever? <laughs> That's a trick question. How long's forever? Forever. And it shall stand forever. Look at verse 45. For as much as thou sawest that the stone, uh-oh, here we go with the stone again, that was cut out of the mountain without hands. And that it, that word it is referencing again the stone, if you please, break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold. Folks, these are all clearly messianic prophecies with messianic implications. And it speaks of a future. It speaks of a kingdom of God that would be set up, not made with your hands or my hands, not made with your design or my design, but made from the creator of this universe. Now look back at verse 22. Let's go back to verse 22 in our text. Because verse 22 actually alludes that the very stone that these so-called builders... By the way, I use the term... I know it says builders in Scripture, but we ought to use that term very loosely. The stone which these builders... Because they really didn't build much, did they? When you think about it, the stone which the builders, these builders who accomplished very little, they built... Uh, not upon Jesus Christ, but they built on everything other than Jesus Christ. And I'll talk about that here in a second. But it says that they refused and rejected as being insufficient, defective, and unsuitable even to be actually used to them. Watch this. They refused it. Can you imagine their surprise when they turn around and realize that he has become the head or the chief cornerstone? Can you imagine in their mind, they're like, hold on a second. We, we said that guy was nothing. We said that guy was worthless. What good, you know, even Philip in John chapter 1 is like, what good comes out of Nazareth, right? It said this guy is the chief cornerstone. Folks, all of these references point to Jesus Christ. By the way, I don't know about you, but I can't imagine an, any experienced builder who refuses or rejects anything that would turn around and then somehow use that stone in the project somewhere. If you refuse it and you reject it, it shouldn't show up in the project, whether by accident or on purpose. I can only imagine what they were thinking when they realized that Jesus was prominently displayed, not only in the building, but he was the most prominent stone in the building. Oh, my friends, when we consider it all, the scribes, the priests, the, the Herodians, the Pharisees, and on and on we could go, they were trying to build their religion on the law. But we know that the law was only a schoolmaster until Jesus Christ came, as the book of Galatians tells us. They were trying to build their life on traditions. Folks, I'm all for traditions if they're biblical. I'm not for traditions if they're man-made traditions just for the sake of being man-made traditions. Listen, uh, and I, th listen, don't get me wrong. You may have Thanksgiving traditions where you pull the bone and the little wishbone and you may have Christmas traditions that you do at your house. You may have all kinds. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when we try to build the foundation of our faith based on something other than Jesus Christ. Oh, my friends. These so-called builders, they saw absolutely no excellence 
whatsoever in Jesus. And quite honestly, he didn't fit their preconceived notions. He didn't fit their preconceived ideals or expectations of who, what, when, where, why, and how the, the, the Messiah would come. And so they rejected him. They rejected him in their minds. They rejected him in their hearts. They rejected him in their actions. And if we're not careful, we end up doing the same thing. We have to be so careful what we're building our lives on. In essence, I look at the story, and these, these builders were blind. They couldn't see, uh, they couldn't accept that Jesus was the promised Messiah. In fact, if you think back to Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 3, the Bible tells us that Jesus was despised and he was rejected of men. A man of sorrows, the Bible says. He was acquainted with grief. As we hid our faces, it says, and we hid our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. I think about John 1 in verse number 11. John writing, he says, he came unto his own and his own received him not. I was reading the other day and it was Charles Spurgeon speaking of Jesus Christ. And uh, the old prince of preachers, and here's what he said about Jesus in this passage. He said, Jesus was the stone from a different quarry than themselves, and not after their mind, nor according to their taste. Therefore, he goes on, he says, they cast him away, ultimately pouring contempt on him. Oh, how sad. How sad to think about these builders who rejected Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 4, it was Peter who declared to the Sanhedrin, this is the stone. In Acts 4.11, this is the stone which was set at naught of you builders. He says, which has become the head of the corner. Oh my friends, the truth is that Jesus Christ was the structural. He was the symmetrical, the spiritual, the eternal living stone that they said they were looking for, but they failed to see. What stone are you looking for today? What stone are you hoping to find? On November the 22nd in 2020, I think about back in Scripture how these Jews of yesteryear, this is what they said. Some of the Pharisees in John chapter 9, watch, this is amazing how God, God's Word literally gives you a picture on both sides of the equation. But in John chapter 9, in verse number 16, Pharisees said, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. However, when I think about Scripture, I look over in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 20, or, or, verse number 12, that says, But this man, right? This man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. You see what the Pharisees thought, but we see what God's Word confirms. In Matthew 27 and 63, we find the chief priests and Pharisees. They ask Pilate. This is after Jesus had been crucified. They go to Pilate. They say, hey, Pilate, um, basically what they're asking for is a 24-hour-a-day surveillance team to be placed at the tomb. You remember? And notice what they think about Jesus. They say, hey, sir, uh, we remember that that deceiver... They thought Jesus was a deceiver. They were deceived, all right, but they weren't deceived by Jesus. They were deceived by the devil. They said, hey, we remember that that deceiver, that he said that while he was yet alive, before he died on the cross, he said that after three days, I'm going to rise again. This is what they thought about him. However, 
You don't have to travel far. You just go over to Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 6. You remember Mary and Mary, they come to the tomb. And you remember what the angel said in Matthew 28 and verse number 6. He said, hey, I got some news for you. He's not here. They're coming to anoint the body of Jesus with spices. Can you imagine all the preparations and all the plans the ladies had made? Here they come. I don't know that they waddled, but I just... They made their way there. They're coming... And can you imagine the angel? He says, uh, he's not here. He is risen. He is risen as he said. The stone which the builders rejected has become the head corner stone. Oh, my friends, Jesus is alive. Oh, what a wonderful day. In John chapter 19, Pilate said unto them, remember, he says, shall I crucify your king? And you remember what the chief priest says? They said, we have no king but Caesar. But if you go to Revelation 19 and verse number 16, the Bible celebrates his title as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Oh, my friends, the stone which the builders rejected, the one that they refused, the one that they hated, the one that they despised has become the headstone of the corner. And am I a little excited about it? Yes. And some of you are thinking, I really don't understand this message. What's he so excited about? I mean, it's really not that big of a deal. Oh, my friends, it's everything. Because if the stone which the builders rejected did not become the headstone of the corner, I got news for you. We wouldn't be sitting here today. I got news for you. We'd probably be down at IHOP. We'd probably be somewhere else. But we surely wouldn't be singing songs of praise and worship to the great I am, to the beginning and the end. Oh, it makes every difference in the world. All these builders, the religious crowd, I love it, the builders, the religious crowd. Be careful of the religious crowd. Be careful of the people who are walking around with the halo on so tight. Don't recognize that they're a sinner saved by grace. If you think you're somebody, you need to take heed of God's word because Paul said take heed lest you think you're something before you fall. You can find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 on your own time. <laughs> Oh, yes. They considered Jesus to be nothing. And yet he was. And I declare by the authority of God's word that he is and still is and still will be everything for you and me today. You and I celebrate today. You and I worship because he is the head of the church. He's the pinnacle of glory. He's the principal stone of the whole house of God. He's the foundation of our hopes, if you please. Oh, yes, He's the glory of all our joys. He's the glue. He's the cement, if you please, that connects Jew and Gentile, Old Testament and New Testament, saints from every age, every tribe, every tongue. He connects us all together in one glorious, beautiful family of God. He's Lord of all. And I'm just getting warmed up. I slept good last night. Ugh. I'm just teasing. I slept terrible. It's power of positive thinking. <laughs> right. Verse 23. Verse 23. How amazing that God's word gives you and I some clarity. It gives us some understanding to verse 22 because... In verse 22, if you just read it and you pass by without like, ooh, okay, what is that all about? 
David's talking about himself or whatever. You just pass it and you miss all the beauty in that verse. And you get to verse number 23. God's word adds this clarity and understanding. It says, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Folks, in other words, the fact that we find in John 3.16 that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is of the Lord's doing. And I don't know about you, but if you know Jesus, it ought to be marvelous in your eyes. And if you don't know Jesus, it ought to be marvelous in your eyes that you have the potential to know Him because God loved you so much that He sent His Son to die for your sin. Jesus Christ becoming the headstone of the corner was decreed by God before the foundation of the world. Before you were ever a thought in your dad or mom's eye or mindset, God knew you, God planned for it, and He sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. God, the sovereign and potentate of the universe, He conceived it, He planned it, He designed it, He decreed it, and He carried it out. His plan. His architectural plans. His engineering feat. Not yours, not mine. It's not by human ingenuity. It's not by human might. It's not by human power. It's all of the Lord's doing. It concludes by saying there in verse 23, it's marvelous in our eyes. And I think about the word marvelous. And in the Hebrew, the word marvelous comes from a primitive root word. Notice it. It means this. It means to be marvelous to be wonderful, be surpassing, to be extraordinary, extraordinary, to separate by distinguishing action. It's again, the word marvelous is a reminder that it is beyond your capacity. It is beyond my capacity. It is beyond your power. It is beyond your thought. It is beyond any ability that you have to do it. It's all marvelous because God did it. If you look at the Hebrew word when it translates into the Greek, the word, the word that's used is uh, thalmastas, thalmastas. And it actually means this. It means wonderful. It means marvelous, worthy of admiration. But watch the last. Passing human, watch, comprehension. Think about this. It's saying that it should blow your circuit breaker. That's what I think about. When you think about that the stone which the religious crowd rejected has become the head stone of the corner, and when you understand that it's the Lord's doing, it's not by my might, it's not by your might, it's not by my ingenuity or your ingenuity, but it is God's doing, it's marvelous in our eyes. What the Bible is saying is that it ought to blow your circuit breaker. And if it doesn't, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Something's wrong with us if we don't celebrate what God has done through His Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, it's like a song I used to sing years ago. I started singing it the other day in the office, and I'll refrain from doing it today. But it's like this song. It's more than wonderful. Oh, it's more than marvelous. It's more than miraculous. When I think about what Jesus has done for me, remember Chrissy and I used to sing that all the time. More than wonderful. Oh, what a Savior. What a Savior. It's, it's, it's so incredible to think about the life-changing love of God and all that He has done through us and for us, rather through His Son. When I think about it, 
I'm reminded that without Jesus, you and I, we are men and women dead in our trespasses and sin. Without Jesus, you and I are men and women without hope. Without Jesus, you and I are men and women most miserable. And I think about those scribes of yesteryear, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, the Sanhedrin, the other Jewish leaders, and even the devil himself. They thought that they had gotten rid of Jesus. You know, they thought they had gotten rid of him when they placed him on the old rugged cross. To them, it was the end. But folks, I got good news. It was just the beginning. (laughs) They put him on the cross and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But it's all good because in three days... I'll rise again. Ah, okay, get start singing that song. And I'll rise again. Ain't no power on earth can keep me down. Oh, what a savior. Oh, how amazing is our God? He took the wisdom of the world. And here's what he did. He said, Wham! and flipped it on its head. Am I right? He said, he said, Oh, they aren't they cute? I'm not sure God said that, but <laughs> you're like, oh, Pastor Battlefield said God said, aren't they cute? <laughs> I'm not sure he said that, but I'm sure he thought a few things. <laughs> aren't they cute? Look at them down there, scurrying about, trying to keep every law, and they know they can't do it. It's just a schoolmaster, just keeping everything in check until Jesus comes to set things straight. He said it on his head, the wisdom of the world. In fact, I don't want to cause you any discomfort today, but if you have your Bible and you want to, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's the last time I'll ask you to turn. And the people of God said, Amen. (laughs) Say, Amen, because I'm getting hungry. Oh, my friends, Jesus' arrival, Jesus' life, His ministry, His message didn't make sense to most. But if you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you'll find what the Apostle Paul wrote to that struggling church in Corinth. Look with me beginning in verse number 17. Paul says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach what? The gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us, that's you and me, But to unto us, we which are saved, it is the what? Power of who? Folks, it's of the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. Keep reading. Look at verse number 19. Paul says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. He says, Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of the world? He says, hasn't God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. Now, because they didn't know God, watch what happens. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews, watch, they require a sign. And the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block. You remember reading in the Old Testament about the fact that that stone was going to be a stumbling block. He says, we preach Jesus unto the Jews a stumbling block. And unto the Greeks or the Gentiles, if you please, it was foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God, stronger than men. Do you see it? Did you see it to the Jews? 
Jesus was a stumbling block. To the Greeks, even today, to the Gentiles, to the Gentiles today, the world is trying to cancel out everything including Jesus. And to the world, Jesus is foolishness. But to you and I, but to you and I who one day by God's amazing grace, I'm going to see the King. I, I have no fear. You could take me out today. I'm going to see Jesus. And guess what? I'll be better there than I am here. But guess what? He's got me here now, so I might as well serve Him and love Him and honor Him and bring Him glory if I can. Amen? The Jews, He was a stumbling block. The Greeks, it was foolishness. But to you and me, those who believe and those who will believe, maybe you haven't trusted in Christ yet. Maybe you need to open up your heart. Maybe you need to ask the Lord to come into your life and to change you from the inside out. It is the power of God. This is what he wants to do. This is the desire of his heart. That stone which was rejected long ago, that stone which continues to be rejected today, is become the headstone of the corner. Oh, listen, if we kept reading in verse 27 and 28, Paul says, God reveals that God, Paul reveals that God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and the weak things to confound the things which are mighty. In verse 28, he mentions base things and things which are despised. Why? Why does he mention base things and things that are despised? I think he does it so that none of us, me nor you nor anyone else, could boast in anything other than Jesus. Isn't that what Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 14 says? It says, hey, listen, uh, be careful. Don't be boasting in anything except for the cross of Jesus Christ. Oh, this is why God took the wisdom of the world and turned it upside down. In verse 23, back in our text, makes it clear that Jesus' exalted position was not, is not, and will never depend upon the work of man but comes from God. Oh yes, as 2 Corinthians 9.15 alludes to, Jesus Christ is the unspeakable gift of God, which should take us by no surprise, because doesn't James 1 and verse 17 remind us that every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning? Oh listen, that unspeakable gift, Jesus Christ, is so incredibly important. Oh, my friends, verses 22 and 23 of our text are accurate. The stone, Jesus Christ, is the stone. He is the rock. He is the stone, if you please, which the builders refused. That word refused, by the way, just a little thought for you. You can read Philippians chapter 2 later on your own. But that, that word refused, the idea of him being rejected, speaks of his humiliation. You remember Jesus Christ. He humbled himself and became obedient. Even obedient unto the death of the cross speaks of his humiliation. But notice verse 22 says, is become the headstone of the corner. That speaks of his exaltation. Hey, every knee will bow. Every tongue is going to confess whether you like it or not. I, man, I love that. When I was a little kid, you know who was boss at my house? If dad said something, dad meant it, right? If Jesus says it, he means it. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is the word. It's his word. And when he says it, he means it. Verse 23 says it's of the Lord's doing. It's of his doing. 
It's marvelous in our eyes. And folks, when we think about verse 22 and 23 and we think about all that God has done, can I tell you the same is true here at Battlefield Baptist Church as well? The same is true here at Battlefield Baptist Church as well? I was, worried, I was afraid y'all fell asleep for a second. More than 40 years ago, more than 40 years ago, feeling refused, feeling rejected. If you know the story, there was a man by the name of Carl Skinner who left the cold, wonder, wonderful place of Baltimore, Maryland. He felt refused and rejected, but he crossed not the chilly Jordan, he crossed the chilly Potomac, and he came into a forsaken land called New Baltimore, Virginia. And God allowed him and his dear wife to plant Battlefield Baptist Church for His honor and for His glory 40 years ago. Guess what? It was of the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. Oh, for more than 40 years, down through the years, and I don't have time to go through it all, but through the ups and the downs, the ins and the outs, and some of you have lived to see it, and some of you have talked about it and shouted about it till you're blue in the face, but God has continued to have His hand of blessing on His work right here at Battlefield. It's of the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. Over the years, thousands, thousands, and I don't exaggerate, thousands of lives have been eternally changed locally and globally by the gospel of Jesus Christ through Battlefield Baptist Church. It's of the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. Oh, my friends, we ought to celebrate hundreds of missionaries for 40 years have been prayerfully and financially supported all around the world. We read letters every Wednesday night. If you're not doing something on Wednesday night, come to God's house because we're in His Word every week and we're studying it and we hear from our missionaries how lives are being changed. It's of the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. Is it? Is it marvelous in our eyes? Many individuals and families, and I thought about making a list, but I would forget somebody and then I'd be in trouble. I'd be posted on Facebook or Twitter or somebody. Oh, pastor forgot me. Well, let me just suffice it to say, over the years, many individuals and many families have surrendered to full-time Christian service through Battlefield Baptist Church. It was of the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. Guess what? I, too, am one of those people. Years ago, the pianist of Battlefield Baptist Church walked down a pipe stem. My wife and I weren't even attending Battlefield Baptist Church. She walked down and invited me to a choir musical. It was of the Lord's doing that we decided to come. It's marvelous in our eyes because of what He has done in our life. Oh, my friends, today God continues to assemble a wonderful, a wonderful church family to fall more in love with God, to fall more in love with God's Word, to fall more in love with people. Oh, it's of His doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. It's put together a team of staff and volunteers to continue to lead and support the ministry here in Northern Virginia and all around the world. You got it. It's of the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. And folks, I just I, I think a little differently than most people. I just think about it. Since it's His doing, since it's of the Lord's doing, shouldn't our response be to be filled with wonder? To be filled with excitement? To be filled with gratitude, if you please? But I also think that we should be committed to serving Him and to worshiping Him. Folks, I see the sign of the times is crazy. I don't understand what's going on, but I understand who's in charge. And it ain't the devil and it ain't anybody else. It's Jesus Christ. 
And I've said many times over the past couple of months, I think what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 13 is applicable today. It's high time to awake, for now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. We better wake up. But I look around and I see fewer people wanting to worship God. I see fewer people wanting to serve God. You know, we had a roofing working party. And you know, to be honest, the guys and the gal, guys and the gal, we had one brave lady that ventured out there. And I love everyone that showed up. But you know what? We could have had twice the number of people out there doing that roof work. We would have been done a lot sooner. Oh, it's so difficult. It's so difficult to see what's going on. The people. This is the Lord's uh, place where we gather. It's not ours. We understand we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in us, which we have of God. But this is His house. I think we ought to take care of it. Oh, that's what we're doing with the building renovation, taking care of things. Oh, listen, I can tell you it's funny. Barry said it in the video. I put it in my notes. You'll never grasp the wonder, the excitement, and the gratitude of what the Lord has done, and you'll never, ever be able to truly serve and worship God until you really know God. You might pretend. You might play church. You might know all about God, but unless you know Him, you're not going to be committed to serving Him or worshiping Him. Oh, folks, the way of salvation is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. Wasn't it Jesus who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life? No man cometh to the Father but by me. Oh, it's not something that you and I do. It's something that He has already done. All we have to do is receive that wonderful gift. Let me ask you a question. I put down a few thoughts here as I close. What is it? What is it? What is the head or the chief or the principal cornerstone of your life think about that just individually for a second what is the most important aspect of your life this morning November the 22nd in 2020 you see I put some thoughts down because a lot of us I know we have some that struggle with their physical health health is getting out of physical pain the cornerstone of your life is your car is your house, is your job the cornerstone of your life? Is your family or maybe your friends the cornerstone of your life? Is some habit, is some addiction the cornerstone of your life? Is some emotional feeling or religious experience the cornerstone of your life? Folks, I can tell you that if you're trying to build your life on anything or anyone other than Jesus Christ, you're building on what is known as sinking sand. It will not stand. I was looking at the Leaning Tower of Pisa earlier this week, thinking about sinking sand. And if you do a little research, you'll find that that phrase, Pisa, talks about that the idea is that that tower was built on marshland. It wasn't built on a good foundation. And if you go, they've had to uh, put uh, all kind of stuff in there to keep it from falling, and it's a tourist place now, and they've closed it down, reopened it, and closed it, and reopened it over the years. And the reality is if we don't build on a sure foundation, we're building our life on sinking sand. Can I encourage you, whatever you do, don't leave Jesus out. Don't leave Jesus out of your life. You may have been attending Battlefield for a long time. You may have been getting lost in the crowd. Can I tell you, if you don't know Jesus, please call out upon Him today and ask Him to forgive you. Ask Him to come into your life and change you. You know, Paul wrote to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 11. He said, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. 
The Bible is pretty clear. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages of that sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible reminds us that God proved, He commendeth His love or proved His love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In fact, two verses earlier, it says He died for the ungodly. That's me. He loved me enough to do that. He loved you enough to do that as well. I love the one verse that so uh, really says it all. As my youngest son said when he was about 12, and he told me it was his favorite verse, and I said, why is this your favorite verse? And he said, Dad, because it says it all. And that's Romans 10 and verse number 13. He said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Oh, my friends, the Bible is clear. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 2 says that behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, if He is not the chief or the headstone or the corner of your life, the foundation of your life, I am begging you today, don't leave this place. Don't turn off the computer or the TV until you trust Jesus as your Savior. Can I tell you this and I close? The first time that Jesus came, the first time that He came as the spotless Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world as Scripture tells us, He came to save your soul. He came to save my soul. But soon and very soon, and I believe that with all my heart, and I know people say, well, that pastor's been saying that for years. Oh, don't get caught up thinking you know more than God. Soon and very soon, He's not coming back as a Lamb. Soon and very soon, he's coming back as a lion. He's coming back as a lion from the tribe of Judah. And when he comes back, he's going to rule, and he's going to reign, and he's going to do it forever and ever and ever. And so my encouragement to you today is call out upon the name of the Lord. Trust him as the Savior of your life. Enter into the greatest relationship of all. Oh, listen, don't let this day pass without asking Jesus to be your Savior. You know, I pray that you know Him. I pray that if you don't know Him, that you'll call upon Him for the salvation of your soul today. I think about that song, Solid Rock. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lead on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is what? All other ground. Sinking sand. Forty years. He hasn't changed one iota. And he's not changed today and he'll not change tomorrow. I pray that you know him. If you don't, would you trust him right now? Right now, don't wait. Call out upon the name of the Lord. Listen, it's not some kind of fancy, free, feel-good, uh, specific words that you have to say. But out of the desire of your heart, if you desire to have a relationship with Him, that's what He desires. You can call on Him. You can ask Him. And He will hear you. He will answer you. Listen, repentance is all about having a change of mind. You're going this way and you say, nope, that's not the way I should be living. God, I'm going to turn this way. I'm going to go this way. And God, I need you to go with me. I need you to show me the way. That's all repentance is about. If you've never trusted him, do it right now. If you know him, would you recommit yourself to 
making much of Jesus. Ask God, God, help it to be wonderful in my eyes again. Help it to be marvelous in my eyes. Help it to be miraculous in my eyes when I think about what you have done. God, help me to live in a way that points people to you. Would you do that today? I pray that you will. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the time that we've had in your word. And God, I am so thankful that God, we can look back even in the Old Testament and see you pointing forward to your son. God, as we consider that stone which was refused and rejected of the builders of old, God, when we understand that it's speaking of Jesus and it points to the fact that He now is the foundation of our faith, Lord, we are thankful. We are grateful. We realize that it's of Your doing and it's nothing that we could do. It's nothing that we could conjure up or think about or conceive. And so, Lord, I pray that it is marvelous in each and every one of our eyes. God, I pray that if there's somebody in this room, somebody watching that would communicate with us even online if they've never trusted Christ, that they would simply quietly unto themselves in this moment, if they desire to have a relationship with you, that they would call out. God, understanding it's not about a magical, mythical set of words, but God, it's about the deep desire of one's heart, understanding their sinfulness and understanding your righteousness, asking you to forgive them. Maybe they might just say something like, Jesus, I realize I'm a sinner. I don't know it all, but I, at this time, at this place, the best I know, I understand that I need you. I understand that I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. And so, Jesus, would you please forgive me? Would you please forgive me of my sin? Would you come into my life? Would you begin to transform me from the inside out? Lord, help me to live for you. Lord, I want to bring you honor and glory. Lord, I pray that you'll do this. If that's your heart's desire this morning, if that was your, your prayer this morning, would you, just, would you just simply as a testimony of that, just look at me. Just say, Pastor, I, I asked the Lord. I didn't know. I just I want the Lord to forgive me of my sinfulness. I asked him to come into my life and to change me. Pastor, I just want you to know, pray for me as I begin this new journey of faith with Christ this morning. If you made that choice, would you just look at me, catch my eyes as I make my way across. If you're online and you've made that decision, if you've made that, I see you, young man. If you made that decision online, would you just let us know, just say, I trusted Christ this morning. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus as your Savior, and your desire would just to live in a greater way for Him, to bring Him more honor, to bring Him more glory through your life, through the things that you think, say, and do. If that's your heart's desire, would you just look at me this morning as a testimony of that? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Others, God bless you. Anybody? God bless you. You want to bring Jesus glory this morning? Just look at me. Pastor, I want to live for Christ. God bless you. Somebody else? God bless you. I just want to live for Jesus. God bless you, bro. I want to do... I want to do more for the Lord while I have opportunity. God bless you. God bless you. So many. Oh, this is honoring to the Lord. It's of the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. Father, we thank you for your love as we sing a final song of invitation and praise to the Lord. God, I pray that you'll bless us. I pray that you'll continue to have your hand of protection and provision about this church. God, that we might continue to be the salt and the light that you've called us to be. 
God, I pray for souls to continue to be saved here. I pray for those that need to be baptized, that they would present themselves for baptism. I pray for those that are looking for a good church home. God, that you desire to bring them to be a part of this church. I pray that they would make that known today. Lord, whatever your desire is today, I pray that you would have your will in your way. And we'll give you the praise for it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.